thank you so much for joining us on the Blind Stigma Podcast. Thank it's you. Dr. Natasha Williams. And this is Stacey M. Buchanan. Thank you so much again for joining us. Now, this episode, we mm. always talk about powerhouses and, and you know, just, you know, amazing guests that we've had so far on this podcast. This man is no exception. No exception. He is, you know, he really is truth to power is what I, I, I love to say. I love that. Truth to power, which means he doesn't only talk the talk, but he walks the walk. And his journey has really informed him in terms of how he wants to leave the world, I think, and, and address the world in such a way. So let us talk about our guest, Jason Kinte. Kinte. So Jason Humphreys Kinte is an author spoken word artist, entrepreneur, and career coach, and a mental health advocate. Jason has been featured in the newspaper, on TV, and online for his service to the community. He overcame a bout of depression to, found, to, find, to found Free Shares Incorporated, the best at making people happy for free, in 1999, while completing a business degree and French minor at the University of Toronto. He started Toronto Poets as a club that started the Increase the Peace campaign in 2002. In 2011, he started the Pens Power and the Pens Power Club, Divisions of Dream Livers um, Club, a for-profit global version of a registered nonprofit that he ran called Toronto Poets. Think Freely Student Systems helps students to develop a healthy mindset and achieve all that they are capable of achieving in life. He, he's wow. doing so much. And it's amazing, I think, to find when we listen to his episode, mm -hmm. how his personal journey has informed who he is now and what he's doing professionally. So Absolutely. it's amazing. Absolutely. Jason's Jason's pen is his power. Yes. Oh. And uh, I found the perfect quote for Jason. And it goes like this. If we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. And when you listen to this episode, and I mean listen to this episode and take this episode in, you'll see why you'll feel why you'll understand why this quote is the perfect gravy the perfect halo for this episode and for jason kinte i want you guys to really listen to this episode and let's get ready go. let's get ready let's because go. this man is a revolutionary Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Jason, we are going to dive right in and we're going to ask you the first question and that is to tell us your story. Okay, well, thank you so much. Um, it's a privilege to have the opportunity to share because I really feel like I've come to a place where I'm able to tell the whole world about it, and it will really help a lot of people. My story starts with my dad, actually, because growing up in Pickering, my dad came here on scholarships from Antigua. Um, they used to say he was the smartest guy on the island. I used to hear legendary stories about how in his Latin class, 
one day he was away and the Latin teacher would not teach <laughs> because my dad was away. Oh, Good thing me. he was only away one day, right? So he came here and I uh, met my mom and both of them were from Antigua and they met here um, and they got married and then they had my sister and then they had me and, you know, it was a good immigrant story, you know, and you come here on scholarship. My mom came here and she was working for the bank and, you know, they had the 2.1 kids, everything, white picket fence house in Pickering, you know, um, born in Toronto, but we moved to Pickering when I was four and I uh, went to schools in Pickering and I was top of my class in elementary school most outstanding student, and, and uh, my sister went through and got scholarships and became a teacher and then a principal, and um, she's like, she's doing really well. She's a superintendent now and stuff. Um, but uh, for me, I went, everything was just like, I was a happy child, and then high school, I graduated top of my class, kind of just like my dad, got seven scholarships, um, wow, regular wow. University of Toronto scholarships, her Jerome Award scholarship, so I got black scholarships and regular scholarships, right? Okay. Most of uh, the uh, University of Toronto also has um, an opportunity scholarship for, for black students, and I got that as well. Oh, nice. um, so everything was great, but then in university, I wanted to keep getting 95s, and I had a goal of becoming prime minister and graduating from university at the top of, top of my school, too. And that's a little bit harder at well, University of Toronto. So I put fair. a lot of pressure on myself. I didn't sleep. You know, I slept like three hours a night. Wow. And the first year, I was actually doing well still. I was still getting like straight A's. So I was like, this isn't hard enough. I need to challenge myself more. And I met a really ambitious um, friend of mine from Sierra Leone. And we decided to start a club called the Canara Society. Um, that was, you know, it's, uh, we use Swahili words like Kwanzaa principles for it. There was an Oba and an Oya. I was the Oba male leader. and She was the Oya female leader. And we did so many events that year that both of us ended up in the hospital. Whoa. Her from physical exhaustion okay. and, and me from a mental breakdown. Wow. wow. Okay. So you were trying to do all of these events on top of keeping your 95 or whatever average, average. right? So trying, to stay, yes. so trying to stay on top of everything academically, but then also running all of these events in this, in this um, organization that you both had founded. Right. And the clincher when I went to the hospital is because I was doing all of this at a lightning pace and I, I wanted to self-actualize. I wanted to see what's the best thing I could do. And I thought the best thing I could do was to save my people, right? And uh, I had changed my name because I wrote a poem called, they call me Humphreys, uh, Slave with No Brains. They called me Humphreys. They just shocked me in chains. When I called them, my name's Whips. They gave my vessels blood drains. The cage is now bigger and I have made some gains. But after 400 years of slavery, rape, and murder, they still call me Humphreys. But I have no one to blame because they call myself Humphreys, just like a slave with no brains. So I changed around the order of my names. And I changed it from Jason Bernard Kente Humphreys to Jason Bernard Humphreys Kente. And um, I had these aspirations to do so much for our people. And I said, why are we always divided? So I called the show Umoja, An Awakening mm -hmm. of Consciousness. And I, life imitated art. So I wrote that I, was this black, I played the role of this black leader that got shot. And in the middle of, right when we were about to do the play in black, for Black History Month, my grandmother died. Oh, shit. And I was so busy. I had four exams and we were going to do the big show. And there were a hundred people in the show, all three campuses. It was going to be the biggest show, um, you know, of that any group, much less to any black club put on. And then 
I decided that I didn't like how my dad responded about it because my mom, it was my dad's, uh, it wasn't my dad's mom. It was my mom's mom, and he they had some other in law issues. Okay. So he said, "I hope you, you know you're not going to that dead woman's funeral, right?" And I was like, "I got offended," so I decided to go, even though I didn't have time. Mm. Um, and you know, and I spent time with my grandmother. I used to read the Bible to her when she couldn't read, and, and she was old. She was like almost ninety. She wanted to go. She actually told me she was ready to die. Last time I was in Antigua, and I talked to her. But anyway, I went to the funeral. Tried to do too much, and. I came back and I felt, figured like the play was a disaster. I put all my hopes in that play showing why black people don't you do unite. We ended up fighting because people were yelling at me and blaming me for stuff. Then I blamed myself. I sent an email basically telling off everybody afterwards. Oh and then I felt guilty and I went to the hospital with a breakdown. My goodness. Wow. Now, when, now you're saying breakdown. Can I just ask you, and that's for our audience to understand when you say breakdown, what happened to you physically that basically perpetuated you or, or made you go to the hospital? Great. It was a psychotic episode. I actually, that was the, I was ended up, the next year I was, when it happened again, I was diagnosed with schizoaffective psychosis disorder, very similar to what John Nash in A Beautiful Mind was diagnosed with. Yes. I, he saw people like his, most of his life. I saw things that weren't there. Okay. So I didn't see people that weren't there, but I was so, um, I guess I was so wanting to have done it right and made a difference and been like a, an amazing black leader that I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them realize that we need to unite, even though the show didn't work and I would never give up. So essentially my desire was so great that I wrote a merit narrative that wasn't really true I see. like mm. kind of like there's somebody right now that's doing that he kind of like is imagining he's still president and he won and stuff so it's like I, my <laughs> desire was so great <laughs> right that i wrote a narrative that wasn't true so i said okay i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go pretend like i'm i'm crazy write an email real pretend i'm crazy Right. And uh, I said I gave everybody three options and an email and I never hit anybody in my life. Something I'm very proud of. I try to find an intellectual way. So I said, OK, I'm going to make them realize that we should have united for this. Right. So and I'll sacrifice myself because that's what black leaders do. That's what good leaders do. That's what Jesus did. And I'm Christian. So I was like, OK. So I, I wrote like I was really upset. And I said, you have three options. Investigate this whole thing because. I wrote a long email, okay? And I sent it to everybody in the entire club, and then somebody in the uh, Indian club sent it to all of their clubs. They said, look at how the black president, the president of the black club resigned, right? So I sent it out. It was like a really blast email that was blasting people. And, um, and I said, okay, you have three options. Investigate all of this and see what happened, right? And why the show didn't work out and why I'm upset. Um, and I knew people didn't have time to time for that. Right. Or a second option, you know, uh, pretend you never read this email because I need to stop talking about this so I can study for the first time in my life. I can't study. I feel like I'm going to fail my four exams and not be able to become prime minister or do any other thing, but be fully prepared to accept the personal responsibility for whatever else you do. Now, I thought that that meant people would be scared because they realized my mind was at risk and my mind was a great, beautiful thing. And I wanted to do great things for all of humanity. But people still came to me and yelled at me and said, why did you send that email? And I was okay. plucking my ears because I was trying to study. 
and I went to the hospital. My mom took me because she realized that I, I really didn't know what was going on. And I was, could not believe that people would yell at me for sending an email when I said that I was going crazy. And I did. Right, right. Okay. So what happened, can I ask you, once you were hospitalized? Can you tell our audience what was your experience once you were hospitalized? Yeah, for sure. Um, my second book, I think I told, uh, I can't remember who told Stacey, yeah, my second book is going to be committed, and I'm going to tell the whole story about it. But basically, when I went to the hospital, I told the story, right? My mom said, you know, he's acting, he's seeing things, that, like he's thinking things are going on that are not really going on, because mm-hmm. it walks through University of Toronto, right? And I'd say, those signs are about me. So those are schizophrenic type of uh, thing. So I was like, everybody's talking about me. Some people were, but most of the people weren't, right? Right, right, right. But but some people were, but I thought everybody was. So basically, I even thought on the TV, I thought the TV was about me. Like, I was like, everything is about me. So basically, I went to the hospital. I explained that to the doctor, um, that what went on, and she said, um, and I told my whole story, and I said, you know, my name is, she's like, what's your name? And I said, it's Jason Kinte. I'm president of the Canaris Society at U of T. We were doing this big play. It was a disaster. Parents were disappointed, yelling at me and stuff like that. And and then she's like, oh, and she looked at my health card. Mm-hmm. And the reason I told you I changed your name, my health, right. health card was the only card I didn't change. I had never been sick. I had a blessed life. I had never been sick. So I changed my birth certificate automatically when you pay to change your name. And I changed my driver's license, but I'd never been sick. I didn't bother changing my health card. So So she looked at the health card and said, Jason Humphreys, I said I was this black leader at U of T. I wanted to do the show to bring us together and send it to Harvard. And my name is Jason Kitty. She's like, oh, my gosh, you don't even know your name. You have to stay. Right. So then how long? And they locked me on a form for two weeks. I thought so. So I wasn't allowed to leave. And then when somebody says you're crazy, even if you weren't, I was like challenged, right? I wouldn't use the term crazy, but I had um, visions of things that weren't going on and I needed a break. Right. um, Right. And one of the reasons I went there was to get a doctor's note so I didn't fail my exams. But um, when somebody says you're crazy, then it's really you, a lot of people wouldn't take that well. I, I've even seen people people said that they were fired as a joke, and they've jumped on the, on the table and said, "What are you crazy? How could you fire me? I do so much work." And they're like, "We were just joking, <laughs> right? right?" So right. like it made me act worse when they said I had to stay and I wanted to leave, and I was trying to escape. I was playing mind games with the nurses. I was doing hunger uh, hunger strikes and stuff it was it was funny because right. i'm not a violent person so i was like what do you do what did gandhi do so i said i'm not eating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my goodness so um to me i mean it, it sounds like such a tumultuous time for you um what happened i would say i guess my where my question is is that where what happened afterwards you know you're committed for two weeks you know a lot of times during that time a lot of it is you know psychiatric evaluation it sounds like you received a diagnosis of schizoaffective am i correct not at that time they just said it was a random psychotic episode so i went back but it's interestingly enough the generational aspect is that was the same 10th floor of the psychiatric ward in centenary hospital that my dad was in my dad tried to kill himself when I was like 13 and oh. he didn't work. That's why I was kind of talking about my dad right. and uh, he had been in and out of the hospital. And uh, can you imagine going and to the same hospital, the same floor where you visited to talk about your dad to the nurses and being served by the same nurses? Oh my gosh. And I was yeah. like, do you guys think I'm sick? And they're like, well, you're polite. 
Oh, jeez. So what I realized then is that the habits you have of how you treat people are really important. Right. Because all the times, and I've been in there four times in 98, 99, 2004, 2011, right. before I finally figured out how to stay well. Right. But all of the times, I still never say the F word or the B word. I've still never said them. I still respect women. I still always do. I still was polite, even though I thought I was well when I was sick mm -hmm. and I needed to be in there when I thought I wasn't. I tried to play mind games with them. I tried to do different things. I've still never hit anybody. I still follow by habits. Mm -hmm. That's why, right? I'm like, I still have never gotten drunk. I didn't get drunk then. I won't get drunk now right. because I have the same values, the same principles. And I was sick. I really didn't know what was going on. At one point, I was even confused as to what my name was. Like, really, literally, I saw different things happening. Like, one time when I worked for Microsoft at 2004, and, and I went to Antigua. Antigua is a trigger for me, going to Antigua. And I figured out three out of the five times I got sick, it was when I went to Antigua. Oh, okay. Because it's so hot. Like, all the things that cure you from depressed, that help you not be depressed, light, oh. heat. Um, like like uh, sunlight, open air, right? Uh, now I study like depression. I read books about it, like the Law of Happiness by Dr. Henry Cloud, mm -hmm. and there are some acronyms that they teach in the church as well. Um, but most of the most of it is light, open air, um, you know, um, rest. All of those things I get all of them when I go to Antigua, and I'm I'm more likely than getting depressed to get elated so i get elated and i want to run for prime minister and stuff and i say oh, that i will in 2030 okay. uh that was the last time um that i got elated kind of like kanye yeah, and i think he's admitted mood, that yeah. that's his thing he mm -hmm. wants to run for president i want to run for prime minister and that's like my base basic thing but um to answer the question i i had these times these times that it's happened i've been more likely elated than not, and that is the symptom that presents itself after the diagnosis I had. One year after I went to the hospital in 98, they realized it was a recurring thing because I went again when I came up with the idea for FreeShares Incorporated, which is live at freeshares.com, spelled P-H-R-E-E. -E. But when I came up with that idea with a, of a corporation that does everything for free, which is definitely different, that is when I went to the hospital again and then they said, okay, this must be a diagnosis. And they diagnosed me with schizoaffective psychosis disorder. Okay. 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 So you mentioned that, you know, you've been, you know, you've been hospitalized a few times, but it sounds like your, your last time you'd mentioned was 2011. So yes. after your last hospitalization, I, usually our next question is, how did you address your issue? So the reason I'm, I'm wanting to pinpoint 2011, it sounds like something happened following your last hospitalization that allowed you to truly figure out what was going on and being able for you to adequately address it. What do you think was the turning point or, you know, how, how, are, you how are you addressing it following your last uh, hospitalization? For sure. Actually, all it is for me is taking the medication. Because the medication, basically, what, what a doctor explained to me, a psychiatrist said, that I'm such a naturally high person that I need an artificial means to bring down my mood. Like, it, I, I literally do, like at work, like whether it was Microsoft, Venera Solutions, um, Fleet Complete, like everywhere I've worked, I answer the phone. How can I make your day fantastic? And other, the, one time I had a manager that wanted to make other people do it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not as high <laughs> as Jason, right? So I'm naturally high. 
I need an artificial means to bring me down. Like, I don't need the drink, y'all. Right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, this is me. This is my natural self. So my natural high self, if I also go to Antigua, it throws me too high. Right. And I get oh, like, I'm naturally that's like that. Why you're saying so, that's the trigger. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. Okay. So I decided, okay, 2011, I was fine from 2004 to when I left Microsoft to 2011. So I said, hey, I'm working. I was working for my church's Christian school t- teaching. My pastor knew me so well, loved me. I loved him. Everything was great. So I said, okay, I don't need the medication. Within three weeks, I was back in the hospital. Oh, and I was like, no way. This is the second time I stopped taking my medication in 2004. It was when I stopped taking my medication because I was fine from, 2000, from 1999 to 2004. Stopped taking my medication. Back in the hospital in three weeks. So then I said, okay, that's not a good idea. But the then in 2011, man. I tried again. It was a second strike. And now I'm not going to have a th- third strike. So I believe in taking the medication for me i've been fine as long as they don't go to antigua <laughs> right right exactly and get that extra high right but i i think amazing what you've mentioned is is that and especially for us in black community there is such a stigma about psychotropic medications and th- taking medications and for you to get to a place where you're in a place of acceptance to say listen I work efficiently when I'm taking the medication. There's no shame in that or anything of that nature. Yes. This is what is important for my own mental health. And I mean, it sounds like it was a journey for you to get to that space, but I think it's so important for you to, ex- for that you've expressed that to our listeners because, and especially the work that I do as a psychologist, when I'm working in, in the black community, a lot of times we have to do some psychoeducation about um, psychotropic medications because there's been such a stigma around the uh, the use of medications and and sort of how that's help helpful as part of a care package for that individual and their own mental health. So thank you so much for for expressing that and and I think that's going to be so helpful for a lot of the listeners out there. One hundred percent helpful because they 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 can they can understand and they're like finally somebody well not finally but here's somebody that can say, okay, using the medication is helping me. You know, um, Jason, can we, oh, we're just going to dive into our next question. And the next question is, is wanting to know where are you now? Now in your now life? Now it's great. Yes. I, I just moved upstairs in my house that I bought as an investment property in 2016. I was okay. living in the basement. So I just moved upstairs. I'm running my own corporation, Penn's Power Club. It's at pennspowerclub.com. It's also dreamliversclub.com because that's like the, 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 the dream after I walk out this Penn's Power Club dream. And basically my mission is to help people to rise, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. So those same dreams that I had when I was in the University of Toronto running the Canary Society, I'm living them today. Um, my co-president is living hers too. She went to Harvard and, uh, you know, and, and went to Harvard Law School. And she's a lawyer in the States, looking for one of the biggest law firms. And so both of the presidents, the co-presidents of the Black uh, Society, the Canara Society, back in, you know, 96 to 2001, when we were at University of Toronto, both of us are doing really well. And I don't want to be prime minister. I want to be president of my own company. And I am. Ah, living my dream. Yes. Yes. 
yes, yes. yes. It's amazing how the dreams, how the dream shifts, right? You know, you get to that space where you're like, no, 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 it's not about being prime minister of, of the country. I need to be the president of my own company. So, you know, it, it, it I think also really speaks to, um, you know, where you are at in your journey, uh, your own personal journey as well. So. Our next question. Yes, I, and I yeah. really do hope people don't judge people that are schizophrenic or right. um, are scared of them or people that have to take a medication. I've had a couple of people that have met me and one person, one girl that I was dating, she was like, she didn't believe in taking medication. I'm thinking, what does she have to believe in what I do for? <laughs> 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 what does somebody else believe about what, what you need to do to live Thank have to do with you? Her man. opinion about me taking my medication has nothing to do with me. And we didn't end up getting married. I, I, I can't. It's, can you imagine you meet somebody and they try to mess around with your doctor's right? recommendations? Right? No, uh, I, I, no, I hear that. Thank I hear you, that too. Thank you so much for that because I think we have such a fear, particularly in the black in community, the black community yes. about schizophrenia. Yes. Some people don't even know about schizoaffective. Yes. I'm not even going to get into that too much. I mean, but I think at the end of the day, there's such a fear because what we do is we we um, we relate certain traits mm-hmm. only to schizo uh, schizophrenia. So we think about the person that's disheveled on the street, um, who's speaking to themselves, yes. that kind of thing. And yes. that automatically is the place that we go to to say that's schizophrenia. Don't talk to the person. The person's mad. The person is dangerous. The, they yeah. can come out at you. They can hit you. Exactly. So you want to stay far away exactly. from them and as possible. That's, and that's the perception that we have in the community. Thank you so much for, you know, bringing that up because I think what you are also doing as well is, yep, you know what? I have a diagnosis of schizoaffective, but you know what? I'm not my diagnosis. Yes, I was just about to say that. You're not your diagnosis. You are functioning properly, adequately. You know, you're living out your purpose even with this diagnosis. So you're actually now, you know, you're a living, walking testimony of say it again yeah, thank Natasha. you living walking testimony mm-hmm. of what how you can not only survive but thrive even with a mental health diagnosis and i think us as black community really have to first of all commend you thank you so much for thank speaking you. your truth um and being able to um not only not only talk the talk but walk the walk so Thank you so much for that. I just I just wanted to thank you for that because I think that that is that is amazing in and of itself that you are, you know, definitely starting to break down the stigma not even just by sharing your story but just by being you. Thank you. I think that there's a particular stigma about schizophrenia or schizoaffective or bipolar, right? Bipolar yes, is, is right. more I more I have bipolar symptoms more so than schizophrenic ones i just had those before but even right. the fact that i'm wanting to say that is because i'm scared of people's people's aspect that it's like a combination of between schizophrenia and bipolar right. and the reason why i want to say that i'm like 90 percent bipolar is because of the stigma about schizophrenia it's really ah, bad because people ah, will yes. march everybody seems to accept over 50 percent of people are depressed at some point and even people that are not clinically depressed have felt that so yes. people are willing to accept that and admit that, but I think what people don't want to admit That's and true. don't feel comfortable about is saying they have any type of schizo anything right. because that's what people have a stigma about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know how many people I'm willing to say I had a bipolar episode or I was manic right. or I was depressed 
but I have to really trust you in the past. Now I'm coming out with my story, but in the past, I would have to really trust you to say that I was diagnosed with schizoaffective. That's right. Because then people are like, what's that? I'm scared of that. Are you going to flip out and start, you know, coming at me with a knife? Like people really don't understand and they judge. And there's no reason for that because the person that is a nice person is still a nice person, right? The person that is not violent is still not violent. And I, I, I in, uh, and for the most part, those are very rare aberrations where they'll say there was some kind of case where somebody got violent. Thank like, you. think of Thank how many you, more cases there are of people getting violent that are not anything Thank and diagnosed you. with anything. That's right. That's right. And the thing is, what you're doing is actually speaking to the clinical research that's out there. So thank you so much for that, because the research does show that people that are diagnosed with, uh, with a schizoaffective, a schizophrenic, a schizophreniform disorder, a very small percentage, a percentage of them are violent, right? And it is a very small percentage, and the research actually backs that up. But what we have done, unfortunately, is taken the stigma of any kind of schizoaffective, mm. schizophrenic, um, any kind of disorder of, of that spectrum, and automatically put some, you know, uh, a lot of lies against uh, against that diagnosis. And a for lot of you, lies. for you to actually say that I have to, I had to be cautious in terms of whom I spoke to. You had to also check and see where was it safe enough to even speak that because if I'm not in a safe space or I think I'm going to be attacked or judged or belittled let me just keep that to myself yes I had a bit of a manic episode and people will accept that a bit more versus okay nope I was diagnosed with you know you know schizoaffective so um, you know you're really speaking to what the clinical research is also um, is, is, is also um, has also published as well so thank you again so much for that i can't so. thank you enough um jason we're gonna go into um one of our last questions and that is how can we change the stigma of mental illness and mental health in our community i think that i have a big plan um to help with that it's what you're doing, um, what both of you are doing with this show helps. Stacey Ann, I really admire what you did with uh, the Blind Stigma film, and I think promoting that. And I'm doing what I can with penspowerclub.com because we do courses, we do education. So um, people are going to be able to take courses about um, how to be happy, and we'll touch on that. And my book that's coming out has – poems that are also on my website at uh, my YouTube channel. It's at giftedlikeyou.com. And it, it starts a conversation because I have poems about it. And then there are questions so people can actually read the poem about depression and then answer the questions and they can do that with their kids. Because I think parents have to talk to their kids oh, when they're very yes. young yes. about, yep. you know, yes. w what would you do if you felt depressed? Would you feel comfortable talking to me, who would you feel comfortable talking to? So I have all of these questions in the book, and then parents can ask the questions to their kids after they see the poetry performance online and have that conversation, maybe when they're 10, 11, 12, and then they won't feel uncomfortable when they do hit, hit that hard time in high school when people are cutting themselves or they feel depressed. They were like, my mother and my father thought this might happen, and they said it was safe for me to come and talk to them about it. Oh, my goodness. That oh. is... 
that is definitely one of the ways that I think is going to be so important to, to address the stigma of mental Absolutely. illness in our community. Absolutely. How do we teach the next generation that it is safe to talk about, to address mental health, that we don't have to be shoving it under the rug from generation to generation to generation. We don't so have to constantly use words like you have a roof over your head, you have a cell phone, you have clothes on your back. What are you depressed <laughs> about, you right? know? Really sit and talk with your kids and, and, and teach them from a young age. Like, have questions like checking in with yourself. When you notice something different, check in. Sit down, have a check-in. Have mm. a daily check-in. You know, have a weekly check-in. Absolutely. And Jason, I'm so, pre I'm so appreciative that you actually now have created a tool that parents can use um, or a succession of tools uh, to f to f so that parents can actually address this with their children. Because a lot of times we'll just say it. We're like, you know, no, parents need to speak to their children. But what you're doing is putting truth to power, which means, no, look, here are some resources for you to use to actually address this with your children. So, Jason, thank you, thank you, thank you Thanks. so yeah, much Yeah, all they have to that. do, they'll get the newsletter right away if they go to penspowerclub.com and subscribe to my Think Freely newsletter. They get it, and it's called Think Freely because I think we need to free ourselves from the shackles of what society expects you to do, not do, and what's taboo and what's not taboo. Nothing should be taboo to discuss because if people don't discuss things, they end up acting, and that's worse than if people can discuss things. You stop Absolutely. them from committing suicide because they get to discuss it. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that your, your pen is your power. Oh, hello. You know, I just, uh, I love that. Jason, as we as we wrap up now, this is this is the very last question, and this is a question I like to call the fun, the fun question. And I'll tell you how to start about. So I was at work one day and I went to the water cooler and I saw that they had a sign that says, take one thing for your mental health. And they had different words cut out into a little strip so you can just rip off the word that you need. And I'm just gonna I started to incorporate it into this podcast. And I'm going to ask you if you could use one word, just one word to describe your journey, your mental health journey, what would that one word be? Redemptive. Oh, my gosh. I was not prepared for that. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Expand on that, please. 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 I want to hear this. Sure. I just I talk a lot, so I have to make sure it was only one word. <laughs> not a compound <laughs> word. Uh, okay, so it's because right, I saw my dad go through these struggles, tried to kill himself twice to the point that when I called 911 and they put me on hold when the later time, you know, I was freaking out. So having seen all of this and, and buried my dad five years ago, I think it's redemptive that I've been able to break free from those um, shackles of repeating the cycle and really say I feel so comfortable now that I could say what a lot of people are, have to hide or feel like they have to hide because of the stigma about uh, especially not just mental illness, but especially like any, uh, either schizophrenia or schizoaffective. So it's redemptive that I've come to that point. I feel like I've even done something that my dad didn't get to um, because he de died depressed and that I'm happy that I'm living in my house, that I'm running my company. Uh, it's so redemptive that I can now help the other people um, set themselves free and get on a good path as well. Oh Jason, my Jason, 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 thank you. I keep on saying thank you enough. I honestly, I cannot thank you enough. 
You know Thank what? you for the opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, sharing is power. But the thing is, and I always say this, you know, I see you, we see you. You're doing some great, great work in the community. Please keep on doing what you're doing, my king. And, you know, continue to do the work because God is taking you to levels upon levels upon, upon levels that, you know, are going to completely blow your mind. And I and I and I say this before, but, you know, I you know, when you see someone, you see someone. And when you see God working through someone, you know, you, you can truly feel that like minded spirit. So. My king, keep on doing what you're doing because the community needs you and, and, and with that, you will definitely be empowered to continue to do the work you need to do. So thank you so much. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.